Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sarit Becker. I'm Itamar Srulovic. Together we run a couple of Middle Eastern restaurants in London. And we also do our fair share of food writing. You're listening to Honey & Co. Where we take turns interviewing interesting people from the world of food in front of a small audience at our deli, Honey & Spice. In this series, we'll be meeting producers and makers who create some of the essential ingredients in cooking. The people you're going to hear from supply us, inspire us, improve our cooking and our life in general. We hope you enjoy and have fun geeking out with us about all things food. Enjoy. enjoy. Tonight we were joined by Matt and Danny from Clipson & Sons Coffee Roasters. They supply our restaurant, have been for years. We love their coffee. Tonight we've learned so many interesting things about coffee. We learned about what goats get high on in Ethiopia. We learned about cupping in the coffee industry and what it means. It was fascinating. We could have continued talking all night. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy talking. When we, we opened Honey & Co, uh, my wife and I, before we opened, we were trying all the different suppliers and we, we were trying kind of different suppliers of eggs and milk and all the things, you know, olive oil, because we wanted to get the best of everything. We wanted everything to be just so. Uh, but the only thing that we didn't try and we knew exactly what we were going to get was the coffee from... Clemson and Sons, mm. because my wife used to go to this little coffee shop in Wandsworth, the Birdcage or something like this, yeah, yeah, Birdhouse? Yeah. Birdhouse. Birdhouse, Birdhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she used to go there, I took these guys' names, I know exactly the blend, I know exactly the coffee that we're going to have. Yeah, and, and this is still the same one that we serve in the restaurant, and the, I think it's, um, you know, still, you know, I drink, like I said, a lot of coffee, I, I still don't think that anyone does quite as good a job as these guys are doing. I want oh. you to help me welcome Danny Davis and Matt Randall from Clemson and Sun Coffee. Thank you. Big round of applause. Thank you so much. And again, I think for all of us, coffee is such a, you know, I'm, I'm sure most of us in this room, coffee is such a big part of our daily rituals. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness, otherwise we'll all be sleepwalking. Uh, nothing would get done. But there's, you know, I, you know, before we opened Honey Co., didn't know so much about it and would really like to know more. 
So tell us a little bit, Danny, about the history of it and how, we, how it came to be such a prevalent drink around the world. Coffee itself has got a long history in, in the Western and you know, Middle Eastern and even down to Southeast Asia the past 500 years since colonialization has happened. But before that, it's a bit of a mystery exactly how it propagated or you know, it generally has been concluded that um, Ethiopia, the region of Kaffa, um, which is a word that's used a lot in coffee. It's still a, a growing region. I'm from a Yemeni family, and we were always told that coffee came is from ours. Yemen. Yeah, this, is, this was our thing. <laughs> and we'll get to that. But um, <laughs> it's becoming the prevailing wisdom now that the original genetic foundation was in the forests and the wild in Ethiopia, and then the beginning of actual cultivation, which was probably about 600 years ago was in Yemen and it was that taking it over to Yemen which actually narrowed down the varieties that were picked from Ethiopia brought there because of and actually cultivated properly in in Yemen so in in Ethiopia actually there's the the long sort of standing myth of uh, Kaldi the the goat herder um, which is a wonderful story but perhaps more like there was a lot of Kaldis and not just one actual Kaldi that had a eureka moment where he saw the goats eating some berries that, and they stayed up all night and he was invigorated partying also all when <laughs> partying all night. Probably actually what happened was that someone did spot uh, animals eating these berries and uh, getting stimulated by them and you know thinking that maybe they're not poisonous because they were bitter because uh, they contain caffeine and uh, actually eating them, chewing them and spitting them out and just slowly you know birds picking them up natural spreading flying of, higher. exactly <laughs> flying much higher than normal and um <laughs> spreading the seeds far and wide but of course how we exactly got to that point we'll never really know until we get time travel it's a great story yeah. Kaldi the goat herder is still a great story i don't think we should let that go but then in yemen the um you know the farms were made and there was a lot of merchants that started to oh. buy and sell and there's a lot of to and fro so the, the narrowing of the strains happened there and then actually as they spread out around the world merchant ships traveling around the world with you know sticks and planting them in another country it, it did limit the amount of strains of coffee that were around so actually it's we're starting to feel a bit of pushback from that now because the strains aren't that resistant to the diseases and they're not really coping necessarily with the environmental conditions and you know, this sort of Rust, leaf rust and all sorts of things that are going on so we're now actually going back to the wild to find more strains because we actually need to get into it before the deforestation in Ethiopia removes some of the so you, you can still find wild coffee in, in Ethiopia that's it yeah in fact the farming in Ethiopia is quite often wild so you might own part of the forest and it's delineated by trees and uh, you know not necessarily by a land deed so you that's just the way it works there and you send your pickers in and they'll bring back coffee from the forest and that's your part of the forest but yeah, it might overlap with someone idyllic. else's for example this this the coffee that you serve at honey and go is is not necessarily from one farm it's from a, a washing station where lots of different smallholders from different parts of ethiopia will br well that part that region in ethiopia will bring their coffee um, and get paid for the amount of coffee they have. So it's kind of the washing station is the is the main hub. Yeah. But people bring their bits. So it could be just some guys going 
picking coffee into the forest, in the into the bush. Absolutely, hundred yeah. 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 percent. It's it's nice to think about it as something so wild and mm. yeah. yeah. I don't. We always think about it, you know, big coffee plantations and yeah, because yeah. it needs it needs the it needs a lot of heat. It needs certain conditions. You can't just grow coffee everywhere. Uh, Arabica is um, altitude coffee. It does. The higher up you go, the more acidity you get. The longer it takes to actually mature as well. So, this Kaffa region is a high altitude uh, region in Ethiopia. So its its origins are high altitude. In Brazil and uh, other countries with lower lower altitudes, they it's adapting. So, it, I mean, it's had a few hundred years to to do that. But basically, coffee can't just grow anywhere. Arabica grows around a belt around the planet. It's yeah. called the coffee belt. Around the equator, so it's a n- nice little mental image. Yeah, I've got yeah. one right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An aura of coffee. So, from kind of this part of the world, Ethiopia and Yemen, to Europe, and then to the New World. And in, in terms of culture, it's becoming. There is this phrase that you say, "cafe culture," which is quite laden. You know, can mean a lot of things. Definitely in in our society, uh, and I think goes quite a way back. Can you tell us a little bit about that. It's been uh, about 300 years since the early co- coffee houses opened in in Britain, and there's this, once again this it's a pretty confirmed story that the uh, original penny universities, as they called them, were coffee houses where a lot of business took place, mainly between men. That was the nature of of society at that time, and uh, you know deals were made, and people would drink. Uh, vast amounts of coffee um, in in France that it started to happen there as well. Voltaire famously drank thirty eight mochaccinos, or you know, it wasn't a mochaccino, but uh, <laughs> he li- he lighted chocolate with his coffee. So Dickens talks about it in a few books as well, uh, like the coffee houses being like a hub of business and a hub of. Um, I mean, you can imagine the amount of coffee they'd be drinking. Um, just that it'd probably be worse than a pub at 11 o'clock yeah. you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> and I think that is the key point it was that it was on the back of a time in you know a day and age when drinking beer with breakfast was perfectly acceptable which mm. you know it still should be um, <laughs> and the more sort of sobering alert qualities of drinking coffee were appreciated and that of course is carried through to this day and age now there was a, a few movements against coffee of course historically as well so that it was perhaps a bit too much concentration for for some people so sometimes it would there'd be a rebellion against actually the effects yeah, of coffee it was, as well it was kind of it was banned for women for for a time to go into coffee houses and that's was it. banned and generally. But then women tried to ban men from going to them as well. So <laughs> Like a temperance movement, a coffee... Coffee temperance. Yeah, it, ha- it happened in the Middle East as well, that there was just too much praying happening and, and too much um, focus, perhaps. The swirling dervishes or the whirling dervishes were... Um, you know, an example of extreme coffee consumption well, combined with um, combined with a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> I think coffee is the least of it. <laughs> All of which are probably going to be legal in the next few years. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. In terms of the the cultivation of coffee, it's quite quite a process. I mean, it is it's a fruit. It's a, it's a berry. You, you can't just eat it off from the tree. You do well, need you to. Can. Yeah, well, you don't really want to. It has um, so if you eat if you eat a ripe coffee cherry. Yeah. So I probably should start with the it is a, f- a fruit, but it's the seed of a fruit. 
Yeah. So we call it a, we call it a bean, but it's not actually a bean. It's a seed, and you can eat the the, the the fruit from the tree. It doesn't always taste good, but in 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 good instances of a nice ripe cherry, you have flavors of kind of uh, honey, raisin, hibiscus, um, things like that. Nothing that maybe was a wide audience we would consider as kind of coffee. Eventually, down the line, that's kind of where we come in. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the kind of the year of growing coffee. How, how does that work? From the nursery, if you grow seedlings from the seed, you, it's three to six months, and then you actually can plant them in, the, in rows in a field. And within two years, you're going to have a harvest. So it's a pretty quick seedling to, to harvest uh, process. But then throughout the year, it's very similar to a vineyard in that you have an intense period of time on the run-up to harvest uh, where there's a lot of attention being paid and shall we pick, uh, are we getting the ripeness? And then uh, once all that's done, there's a lot of focus on processing the coffee, which is similar to say when you're fermenting wine and you're crushing the grapes. With coffee, you've got a whole bunch of processes that take place. There is fermentation involved. It can be really short. It, it could just be a quick washing with no fermentation. So, But fermentation is usually used to break down the pulp. So the pulp is, uh, as Matt was saying, the, all the fruit on the outside. That whole period of processing after, after the harvest is um, a, a matter of days because you've got the, the cherries are degrading. So you don't want those flavors to infuse into the seeds, into the coffee seeds. So it all has to be done very quickly, very similar to wine in that sense. It's, it's like a giant crush, for a good analogy. So you've got to get everything through as fast as possible. So they use mechanical drying in the larger farms. But then you go into about a six to nine month period where, where you're really just pruning and cleaning up the, your equipment and you know keeping an eye on, on the farm but, and you know planting some things. But it's, it's all that cycle of building up to harvest and then processing harvest and then taking a couple of weeks off and then getting and back to all starting all over again yeah so after the harvest basically it gets to you guys that's right so there's a resting period it's about six weeks really where you shouldn't move the coffee too much because there's, there's a whole lot of water interaction happening so it's, a, it's called moisture activity the water is buzzing around inside the beans and it has to stabilize otherwise it will interact with anything that it's near basically so it can pick up taints and, and defects from yeah. its environment that it's in and then after that it can get bagged up ready for um, shipping and is it like say uh, olive oil that you know you want the new season stuff or completely yeah, yeah. and that is a big <coughs> change actually so yeah in, in the previous decades so maybe going back to the 90s there was less attention paid to that and What's happened, what, what we've realized actually is that some of the woody flavors in coffee, which is what we consider a, a defect if it starts to taste too baggy or woody. So if you can imagine the flavor of a, a jute sack or just sucking on a piece of wood, yeah. it's not really an ideal flavor. <laughs> not that really comes from the moisture level of the, of the beans getting too low. So behind, below 9.5%, it starts to get more and more woody. So that, that from the day that it, you open the sack, it's headed down that way. So you need to use it, depending on the country, within six to 12 months. Central America, for instance, um, the harvest kind of moves north every month from January onwards, and you'll get, um, you know, sort of a movement, Guatemala, Costa Rica, and then Mexico starts coming in now. And um, So you're kind, of, it's you, not you're as kind of getting updates from 
you know, do, you know, yeah. If you if you communicate with specific um, producers, it can be quite exciting because it can, like this year, for instance, Brazil's happening <coughs> early, and it's all like harvest is already happening now, and we're still just finishing last season's crop. And you know, it's it is exciting. It'll, but it takes quite a few months for it to get here. It doesn't happen overnight. For me, kind of what I enjoy in coffee is that, you know, the roasting taste. That's kind of most of what. That is a kind of smoky, toasty flavor. This is, you know, what you smell when you walk past a coffee shop and that. It really is a lot to do with what you guys do. You know, no disrespect to the growers, and I'm sure you guys are so fussy about what you buy in and what you try and get, but you guys are the ones calling the shot about what we drink. And you get the the beans, they're greens now. You have, We have the... The green beans? The green beans, yeah. yeah. Some green beans, I think. We brought you some green beans too. Yeah, because this is what I, I saw it. I was less, I was quite surprised that it looked. There's a stark difference between what a green bean looks like and what a roasted bean looks like. Yeah, it's they double in size throughout the roast. Um, they obviously go from a, a green color to a to a kind of light to dark brown color. So it obviously goes from kind of room temperature, and then we prepare the roaster by heating it up to a kind of desired temperature. We then drop the green beans in. That then, they suck a lot of heat out of the roaster, and the job of a good roaster is to add that heat back in, in a very even fashion. So if we add it in too quick, we're gonna scorch the outside of the green, green seed, and we're gonna leave the inside raw. But if we do it too long, we're also gonna burn it. So to have, we, we talk about roasting curves in coffee. Um, and that basically is time and temperature and you want that curve to be lovely and even um, and essentially if you do that you um, bring out those natural flavors of the green coffee in the first place so whether it's a coffee from Ethiopia or Brazil or Colombia our aim is to for it to taste like a coffee from Ethiopia or Brazil or Colombia um, that's the point why we bought it in the first place you know obviously we do a lot to it but it's a mixture of ourselves and the origin you know that coffee from this part of Ethiopia kind of tastes like this and so we just want we want to kind of remain invisible in it we want you to taste that flavor um, but remaining invisible in the final flavor by roasting is really difficult because you're working with fire and sugars and acids and it's, it's hard <laughs> so how do, how do you make that call you know you, you work with so many different varieties so when we receive coffee we uh, we take we take a we take about seven different 50 gram samples and we roast it as many different ways as we can um, in those and then we'll measure loads and loads of different things around it and we'll taste it and we'll argue about how it's been roasted. So do you have like morning geek out coffee tasting sessions? So we will have, uh, so we roast from Monday to Thursday and then on a Friday we take the roaster apart and we clean it but we also taste almost every single roast that we have done during the week and they will get measured um, with really, uh, something, I'm going really geeky here, this is great. Something called a refractometer, which uses light to measure the amount of solids present in a liquid. And we are looking for a particular amount of solids to be present in that liquid, um, which will tell us how soluble our coffee is, which will give us a good idea of how it's going to taste. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tell us a little bit about cupping, please. So, cupping, uh, don't worry, it's not rude. Uh, <laughs> the, the easiest way of thinking about it is whenever you buy a coffee from a human being, some of the flavors you might taste will, will have been affected by that human being. So if you have a bad coffee, it's not necessarily the coffee that's bad. It might be a mistake by a barista or a brewer. The reason we use coffee is, to, uh, cupping, sorry, is to, is to take away that potential for mistakes, limit the variables, so when we taste it, we're just tasting the coffee for literally what it is. So it's done at farm level to decide on quality. Um, we, we cup to, to, to judge the quality of our coffee. And essentially, it's, say we're judging five coffees. We have five bowls, and in each bowl we will weigh the same amount of coffee in every bowl. We will grind the coffee on the same grind setting, so it will extract at the same rate. We'll put the same amount of water on, and we'll let it brew for the same amount of time. And essentially, we're controlling those variables, and so when we taste it, we're really just tasting the coffee for what it is, rather than any mistakes that I might have made, or Danny might have made, or anything like that. And it's a standardized way across the whole industry. Um, to taste to taste coffee and there's there's like competitions this weekend actually there's a competition about um, who's the best cupper in the UK <laughs> we have we have someone competing that's a big deal that's yeah a big it's a big deal, deal. <laughs> in our, in our little, uh, are you not going to compete um, no we have we have uh, I competed recently but we have someone competing oh, good. you've won them all I guess yeah. already <laughs> Mets yes, yes. Uh, I think we are very you know a little bit kind of centered on, on espresso and espresso drinks and things like that but there's actually so many ways of, of enjoying coffee and I think kind of maybe espresso and espresso machine is kind of the most you know requires the most kit or the most training is the, the most sophisticated but not necessarily what, what is accessible to all of us to most of us at home and not necessarily the best as well yeah kind of espresso has become synonymous with quality in inverted commas yeah but the best coffee I've tasted hasn't been espresso. Like, absolutely. Yeah. It's efficient though, isn't it? You can serve a lot of people very quickly, but that doesn't mean you should spend 5,000 pounds on, on, a, on a machine, yeah. I'm not saying don't, because we do sell them, but, um, <laughs> but you can uh, get it wrong really badly with an espresso machine at home when in actual fact a 20 pound piece of equipment we make much better coffee. Actually, do better justice. I to mean, it. just the cleaning. Yeah. 
yeah. ju- just the cleaning and the maintenance of it is such a lot. And also, espresso is the most difficult coffee, like brew method to make because when you you're for for espresso, you use lots of coffee to get very little espresso. Whereas if you're brewing within a cafetiere or a, or a V60 pour over or something like that, it's a, it's a much kind of what, what, sorry what so a V60 so it's like <laughs> a, a cone method oh, okay. with a paper filter in yeah. you put the coffee in and you pour water over the top yeah yeah I know that um, I, I like a, a percolation yeah. a percolation method sorry I should probably use that uh, term <laughs> um, but um, with with that it's it's more open and um, and it brings out different flavors it's not necessarily worse. Um, but there's less, definitely less to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's very, very easy to make espresso taste awful because it's very strong. Yeah, and very, um, it's, very it's a very intense mm. process. Mm. A bad espresso is, can be horrific, but a bad filter coffee is just kind of like, mm. yeah. just kind of like disappointing, you know. Yeah. When a bad espresso is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Why is it dangerous? No. Just for your, yeah, I thought maybe there's something I know because you can burn yourself. I'm actually, you know, if someone gives me coffee, I just drink it. <laughs> to be honest, like if I have a cup of coffee in front of me, I'm already on a nine. Yeah. And then if it's a good coffee, then I'm happy. But there is a there is a thing we all, a lot of people say, and even in the kind of specialty coffee industry where we're very fussy and nerdy about things, that the first coffee of the day, it's like I don't care, just give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always like that. So what do you drink at home? Hmm. Um, actually, uh, one of these uh, new fandangled um, V60 decanters. It's a filter paper. So the Melita um, filter paper was invented in, I think, 1912. I Don't quote me completely on that. But um, it's been around a long time. But the Japanese took, took it to a whole new level. And their equipment range, um, the brand Hario, is just delightful equipment. It's very refined glass and also they make plastic cheap equivalents that bounce off the floor um, and all go in the dishwasher safely and it's all about the filter papers which um, just perfectly filter out all the solids and I can make my coffee in three minutes at home it's enough for me and my partner to you know have a mug each that is consistent and steady I mean, a, a cafeteria does the job just the same but I find for me personally a cafeteria it stews up so the, the grinds at the bottom sort of start stewing into the, the brew. You can, you can do a geek version of a um, plunger cafeteria coffee, which is to actually decant off the coffee straight away and okay. so that you don't get the stewing. But then yeah. you're sort of adding more and more layers of complexity to what you hope to be yeah. a simple process. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I don't know, I kind of like the bottom bits. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coffee I just like the really sludgy kind of thing you start to munch on it. Yeah. 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 Uh, is it just me? No? <laughs> Mine are, so at home I like this cone V60 percolation method. If I go away on holiday or if I go camping or something like that, there's, uh, you, I don't know if you've heard it, something called an AeroPress. That's perfect because it's really easy to clean and it can fit in your rucksack, it's not going to break and you can really quickly make coffee with it. And then also the layers of kind of where the coffee's from because different brew methods bring out different different aspects of a coffee. So if you want to really dive deep into it, you can say, I could say that I would prefer to make an Ethiopian coffee or a Kenyan coffee on a V60 because that promotes fruitiness and that's what that coffee has. 
and I maybe would put a Brazilian coffee or a Colombian coffee in a cafetiere because that promotes sweetness, chocolatiness and body and that's going to and those brew methods are going to give me more more of that. It's worth mentioning that Aeropress was invented by the inventor of the frisbee so it's got a special place <laughs> in, in, yeah, in, in my yeah. cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in all, in all our hearts now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. F- how are we going to drink our coffee in two years? What's the, what's the next big thing? It's a fair question, really. Fair I, question. It's something that we're looking at a lot um, as a company, whether we want to promote any type of single-serve situation because environmentally it's, it's not really... What's a single-serve? Like so like a pod, yeah. and there's sachets, there's... there's People are going to keep finding new, new fandangled um, yeah. ways of uh, of doing it. But until the recycling aspects of it are looked at properly and composting, it is seems to be perhaps a bit of an illusion. Yeah. yeah. For me, the 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 cafe itself though is is something more than just the coffee. Um, it's especially something at Clemson and Sons that we consider to be really important to us. Our 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 cafe has been on Broadway Market in in Hackney for 12 years now and the Broadway market itself I don't know if you've been there has, has seen massive changes in in who lives there and, and who comes to our cafe but throughout all that our our cafe has brought those people together and and we can talk about will you know pods take over and or will eventually um, automatic machines replace a barista and and I, I still remain faithful that people will go to a cafe and will um, and we'll, we'll, we'll want to talk to their barista about you know, what kind of coffee they should get and I still remain hopeful that that's going to be the way. I think in the future it will go two ways. You'll have a really, really automated cafe where machine companies will come out with machines that are incredibly automated that make great coffee at the touch of a button, like really, really kind of top standard coffee. And I think there'll be lots of places like that. But then I think human beings being human beings, there'll also be people will also want to go to places where they see a barista making the coffee and want to, to, to see someone working to make their make their drink. And I think I think it will separate into those two into those two sections. You know, we see you all pre coffee. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't underestimate that. Basically naked. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We see you all pre coffee and our job is, is to take care of that transition in your day from pre-coffee <laughs> to post-coffee. And it's important towards it, really. Yeah, from sadness to happiness. Yeah, right, exactly. Would you rather be served by the RoboCup 5000 or a human being? That's yeah, the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is a kind of a little bugbear of mine. The milks with the Y? The, the, the milk alternative, al- milk. alternative oh, milk. Because I, this all happened kind of when I was not noticing that the, <laughs> this became a thing, the milk with a Y. This is becoming a huge deal in, in kind of coffee culture and espresso culture as well. Mm-hmm. Where are you on that? What's the best milk alternative? Well, I mean, that's a fair question in, in itself. But uh, it is the rise of the wellness movement. And I think cafe culture has come up at the same time. So those two worlds intersect. Uh, and a lot of people seem to have a lot more allergies these days um, and or other requirements. <coughs> and uh, soy milk was super popular for a decent decade or so and then that got a really bad rep so then we've moved on to almond milk and oat milk being the the prevalent alternative milks now and they're they're getting very good to work with in terms of as a barista you can do latte art and the texture's really good we're seeing like 40 percent or more of our drinks now going out 
like that, and you can't really, really you can't really argue with that much. The customers, yeah. What are we going to tell them to go around the corner? <laughs> <laughs> if you just look at, if you take a look at the alternative milks, and you and you treat them as if any, if it was any other ingredient, you know, like what are its characteristics? What are it? What is it? What is its flavor profile? Can you can you match a certain alternative milk with the coffee you have? Let's say, you know, there's a big one. A big one that we serve is oat milk and the and oats a really good flavor a really good flavor to match a chocolatey nutty coffee let's say um it just kind of works yeah um so i think the only it's we can't fight it but if we treat it in the same way that we would treat any other anything else any yeah. other ingredient that's going into something we consume then we can find something good from it yeah 100%. so you th- you'd say like what's good about this how yeah. can i make it work yeah yeah, yeah. what that's what does this cool. taste like how can i match it with this particular coffee and, so what should we match our steak with? Well, I, I would, I would kind of go oat milk. Yeah, well, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> Good yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah. This is what yeah. we did. Yeah. Because well, if we, if you just look at the flavour notes we give the coffee, the estate which Honey and Co serve is uh, milk, chocolate, toffee, and marmalade. And if you, if you add a kind of oaty, creaminess to that, yeah. then you know, it's, no, it's, not a, it's not a leap of the imagination. Not, yeah, exactly. And this is just kind of to end on on this note because I know that. We're all, you know, we can be quite geeky about our food or everyone here is, you know, we're those kind of people. It can be perceived as a little bit painful and a little bit intimidating. And and sometimes coffee has that aura of, you know, you go to the very spare coffee shop with the, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy with the beard and the (laughs) face tattoos. And, you know, you kind of feel self-conscious about just give me a coffee, mate. Yeah, you know, and it's all this about face tattoos. You have to have them. Yeah, this is the kind of you have to have the. Just, just remember though that that barista this is forever. Just, that barista is dying to talk about coffee to you. <laughs> yeah, like he is. He or she is dying to talk about coffee to you. Um, and with I, you, I, yeah, yeah. I know. Often, you know, like when you know you're in a cafe and you just want to get your coffee and get out, but um, behind that. Um, Behind the tattoos and the beard is someone who just wants to talk about coffee. Like really, I mean that. They just love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because it is, it is in a way, you know, it is not mass culture, but people drink coffee. Yeah, obviously. Like everybody drinks coffee. It's 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 an everyday thing, and it you know, an enjoyable thing, just mm-hmm. like anything else. Uh, guys, please give a big hand to Danny and Matt for coming to us. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for listening to our latest episode. If you'd like to join one of the next talks, please follow us on social media at Honey and Co. or go on our website, honeyandco.co.uk. We would really appreciate if you took some time and rated us at iTunes. Only five stars, please. With a huge thanks to Hester Kant for producing. A special thanks to our own Louisa Cornford for her wonderful research. And the music is by the lovely Alice Russell. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 